Jeremiah chapter 6, we'll start verse 10, read down through verse 20. To whom shall I speak and give warning that they may hear? Behold, their ear is uncircumcised, and they cannot hearken. Behold, the word of the Lord is unto them a reproach. They have no delight in it. Therefore, I am full of the fury of the Lord. I am weary with holding in. I will pour it out upon the children abroad and upon the assembly of young men together. For even the husband with the wife shall be taken, the aged with him that is full of days. Their houses shall be turned into others with their fields and wives together. For I will stretch out my hand upon the inhabitants of the land, saith the Lord. For from the least to them, even unto the greatest to them, every one is given to covetousness. From the prophet even unto the priest, every one dealeth falsely. They have healed also the hurt of the daughter of my people slightly, saying, Peace, peace, when there is no peace. Were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? Nay, they were not at all ashamed, neither could they blush. Therefore they shall fall among themselves that fall. At the time that I visit them, they shall be cast out, and saith the Lord, Thus saith the Lord, stand ye in the ways, and see, and ask for the old paths. Where is the good way? And walk therein, and ye shall find rest for your souls. But they said, We will not walk therein. Also I set a watchman over you, saying, Hearken to the sound of the trumpet. But they said, We will not hearken. Therefore hear ye nations, and know, congregation, what is among them. Hear, O earth, behold, I will bring evil upon this people, even the fruit of their thoughts, because they have not hearkened unto my words, nor to my law, but rejected it. To what purpose cometh there to me incense from Sheba and sweet cane from the far country? Your burnt offerings are not acceptable, nor your sacrifices sweet unto me. I want to do a Bible study with you tonight on the importance of repentance. Judah was the chosen people of God. They were given truth. They were made stewards of the truth. By special revelation, they had received the law of God, yet they would rejected that. And the Bible says they were full of iniquity. Their only skills at this point in the nation were committing iniquity. They knew nothing of practicing that which was right, that which was biblical, that which was holy. And... Judgment was coming. Judgment was repeatedly preached by the prophet of God and the people not only stopped their ears but refused to hear. They could not hear. Their only hope was repentance. Look what it says in Jeremiah chapter 8, verse 6. The scripture says, I hearkened and heard, but they spake not right. No man repented him of his wickedness, saying, What have I done? Everyone turned to his own course as the horse rusheth into the battle. No man, not a single one in the nation, repented of his wickedness. And here's what God says. Repentance is the solution. Go back to Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 12. God promises them if they would return, if they would repent, he would and could bless them again. Verse 12, go and proclaim these words Toward the north and say, Return thou backsliding Israel, saith the Lord. I will not cause mine anger to fall upon you, for I am merciful, saith the Lord, and I will not keep my anger forever. Aren't you glad the Lord is merciful? Boy, how long ago we would have been dead. How long ago would we have exhausted his mercies had not he been eternally 
merciful, verse 22, return ye backsliding children, and I will heal your backslidings. He says, I'm offering you the opportunity to repent. Now, I want you to notice a few things here in the book of Jeremiah highlighting the importance of repentance. Number one, repentance keeps sin from advancing in our lives. There's nothing more dangerous in your life than sin, uncontrolled sin, advanced sin. And when the prophet Jeremiah comes and approaches the nation and begins to preach against their wickedness, it's already well established. It's already habit. The law has already been rejected. Keep your finger here in Jeremiah because we'll be coming back. Look what the Bible says in Joshua chapter 22. This is Israel going into the promised land. Joshua chapter 22 verse 12. Reuben and Gad and half the tribe of Manasseh had stayed on the other side of Jordan. And now the other tribes are receiving the news. Look what it says, verse 12. When the children of Israel heard of it, heard that the other two and a half tribes had built altars and established pagan gods, we're talking about entering the promised land. When they heard of it, the whole congregation of the children of Israel gathered themselves together at Shiloh to go up to war against them. Now, when they were in a spiritual frame of mind, they said, we don't want any ungodliness in our nation. We don't want any false idols. We don't want any pagan gods. And when they heard of their own brethren establishing false gods and the worship of false gods, they prepared for war to smash it out. Now, let's fast forward. The entire nation is filled with idolatry. No one knows or reads the word of God. Everyone has their own idols. God is going to proclaim judgment. In our own lives, how often in our youth, because of a good, healthy conscience and an active Holy Spirit, have we steered clear of sin? But gradually we begin to accept those things in our lives. And over time, the very things that we once fought against, taught against, preached against, avoided in our own lives, now we accept as normal and common and very acceptable. Now, how far have they gotten down the wrong road? Look what it says in verse 10 of Jeremiah. At this point, they were past hearing. Chapter 6, verse 10, To whom shall I speak and give warning that they may hear? Behold, their ear is uncircumcised. They uh, cannot hearken. Now look at the difference. The Bible doesn't say that they won't hearken. They refuse to hearken. He said, at this point, they've rejected me for so long. They can't. They don't even know what it is to listen to my voice. The word of the Lord is a reproach unto them. Uh, how many Christians get to the point where the word of God simply becomes a frustration? Hearing it, receiving it, whether it's instruction, correction, or rebuke, when a person is out of sorts with God, any instruction is taken as if it were rebuke. God simply trying to speak, the Holy Spirit trying to convict, gets to the point in our own lives where we get past the point of hearing and here's why you don't want to allow sin to go unconfessed. And more than just a confession, I know many Christians never confess. 
But confession is not enough. There must be repentance, true-hearted repentance, where a person sees that sin, acknowledges it, confesses it, and turns from that sin or you'll begin to go through a religious ritual that allows you to walk into church, sing the songs, participate in the service, and go home and continue as you've always done. That's where the nation of Judah found themselves. Look what it said in chapter 7, verse 28. But thou shalt say unto them, This is a nation that obeyeth not the voice of the Lord God. Look what the next few verses or words say nor receiveth correction. You know you have a child that's in trouble when in their youth they'll listen, but they gradually become harder and harder, and then at some point in their youth they no longer receive correction. Oh, they stand there with a blank look. They'll listen without listening. You know in their heart they've received nothing. Truth is perished and is cut off from their mouth. They were told to return to the old ways and they refused. Look what it says in chapter 8, verse 12. They were way past hearing. They were way past correction. They were way past feeling. Jeremiah 8, 12. Were they ashamed when they'd committed abomination? Nay, they were not at all ashamed, neither could they blush. Therefore they shall fall among them that fall in the time of their visitation. They shall be cast down, saith the Lord. Look what it says in chapter 6, verse 15. Were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? Nay, they were not at all ashamed, neither could they blush. Therefore shall they fall among them to fall. At the time that I visit them, they shall be cast down, saith the Lord. The longer I live the more I see the effects of sin and the more I'm bothered by it in my own life and the more I want to help my children avoid sin. If we could just get kids to focus not on 10 years down the road, but 20 years down the road and 25 years down the road and 30 years down the road and the consequences of all those decisions and sin that's left unbridled in their life and if they don't repent, if they never address it and if we're not teaching them in their youth to repent, in establishing in them a heart of repentance, they will pay the full consequence. They will suffer. And it was proclaimed, and Israel closed their ears to the point and followed in that sin for so long that now they could commit the, the most vile, despicable acts and feel absolutely no shame. You know, we've reached a point in our society Sin used to be something that was hidden. Did you know it wasn't that long ago, just a few decades ago in the United States of America, that if someone would drink, they would do it in private. Whether that was pornography or adultery, whatever it was in their life, that sin was hidden because there was still a level of shame in committing that sin. But this is the generation that flaunts not just the world, but in Christianity, now we flaunt our improper attire and filthy comments. Now it's Christians that go to the golf course and are crude in their speech and laugh at that which God would never have a Christian laugh at. But we're past feeling. 
And they reached a point where God was trying to poke them and they could not feel it. He said, you can commit any sin and never even blush. How many of you ever been with someone that committed a sin that made you blush? I can't believe the stuff that people watch on TV today and never blush. I can't believe in public. But occasionally when I'm getting my old change or I'm in a public place and the stuff that they turn on and leave on to a mixed crowd coming and going through that place of business. There's a philosophy being taught and now our teachers, now our preachers, now our instructors come through the way of a box. I'm not talking about the world, I'm talking about the Christian realm. To such a point, because we've lost our shame watching that garbage on TV, that now we can actually reenact and live what we've seen without blushing. There is no shame. There are young people now at 13, 14, and 15 that'll do things that would have made you blush at 45 because there was no repentance. He said, you've gone past hearing, past correction, past feeling. Look what it says, verse 14. They've healed also the hurt of the daughter of my people, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. This is what someone says when they're caught, when someone's given a warning, when someone's introduced to a consequence. Peace! God said, you're yelling peace. There is no peace. You've gone past reality. This nation has gone way past reality. Because God's judgment will fall while the people of this nation say, peace, peace. What's the big problem? Look what it says in chapter 7, verse 4. When you don't repent, here's one of the most frightening aspects of the lack of repentance. When you don't repent, you lose contact with reality. You can no longer identify truth. This is something that we preached on several weeks ago. Verse 4 says, Trust ye not in lying words, saying, The temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord are these. Now, here's what Israel was doing. Because they lived in sin and idolatry when the prophet came and preached, they were looking at the temple and saying, hey, God's with us, the temple of the Lord. Well, you're doing evil, the temple of the Lord. We have his dwelling place. He's still here in our midst. We have not forsaken him. He's with us. Here's what so many do. They try to put a pretty face to their rebellion by saying the temple of the Lord. The temple of the Lord. I'm, I'm a faithful member of the temple of the Lord and God's with me and I, I come and I'm performing the rituals that I've always performed. And they lose track of truth to the point that now lies become their truth. Now be careful because Christians are there. We've replaced our preachers. Here's, here's why pastors have so little effect across this nation. The pastors that are pastoring this nation have enormous crowds. And they don't just pastor the non-denominational, the Methodists or the Lutherans. They pastor the independent Baptists from their almighty pulpits. Probably the ones that have the largest effects on your hearts, your minds, your principles, and your beliefs are by order. Glenn Beck, Rush Limbaugh, Bill O'Reilly, well, you know what Bill O'Reilly says. 
You can quote more of Bill O'Reilly and Glenn Beck than you can of Jeremiah, Matthew, or any of the Pauline epistles. And they've established in your mind and in your heart what's wrong, what's right, what's the limit, how mean should we be, how bold should we be, what should we accept, what should we not accept. Not that you use the Word of God anymore as a guide. You've allowed those men to establish your morals or lack of morals. And you listen to those preachers three or four hours a day and you think they won't affect your thought process principles in heart more than the word of God that you listen to once or twice or three times a week. Now they were following after lies and we're a nation that's followed after lies. Well, I've got to the point I don't even listen to them anymore. I think we need to get back to the word of God and what the word of God says and stop making our preachers Someone because they've been chosen by Fox. Jeremiah 7, 16. God tells them, Therefore pray not thou for this people, neither lift up crying nor prayer for them, neither make intercessions to me, for I will not hear thee. Did you know if you go long enough in your sin without repenting, you'll go past the help of prayer? You say, well, preacher, I don't understand. There are people on this planet past the help of prayer. They're past hearing, they're past correction, they're past feeling, they're past reality, and they're way beyond. And God told Jeremiah, the solution is repentance, but don't even pray because it's not going to happen. Can you imagine getting to that point or having your children get to the point where they're past the help of prayer? He said, Jeremiah, judgment is coming. You can preach and you can prophesy. You can lift up your voice like a trumpet. You can be spiritual. You can do whatever you want to do. I just want you to know this. You better not even waste a moment praying for them because they're beyond the help of prayer. That's called sin being far advanced. And you know why repentance is so key in your life? Because you don't want to get to that point. You never want to be past feeling. You never want to be past correction. You never want to be past reality. You never want to be past prayer. So what do I do? You wake up every day and cleanse your heart and cleanse your soul and reestablish a relationship with God because you have a flesh that every day strays from God. And you have to say, God, I wandered from you and I want to correct that. And what I've done is wicked in your sight. But most people have stopped admitting anything is wicked. What is wicked anymore? We have stooped to such despicable levels. What is wrong? What on TV is wrong anymore? What music is wrong anymore? What dress is wrong anymore? What is wrong? You can see in your life how far you've gone by the way you live and what you watch and how you speak and the people you run with because we distance, it's one step at a time, and each day is just one step further from truth, one step further from God, one step further away from the correction and the reality and the prayer that could actually help us to turn the corner. And here's why I want to repent. I don't want to live with sin that's well advanced with deep roots. 
Have you ever cut yourself with a sin that was really deep-rooted? Well, that's a monster to get rid of, isn't it? That point, digging that out and take care of that. You know, you got a little weed. You can go through there and pull it. But when you have a tree with 20-foot roots, you've got a real mess on your hands and most likely will need help. Here's what God says about these people. He said, Jeremiah, their sin is well advanced. What was the problem? There was no consistent repentance in their life. Look what it says in chapter 6, verse 30. Reprobate silver shall men call them because the Lord hath rejected them. Reprobate silver. You know why repentance is so important in our lives? Number one, it will keep us from having sin that is advanced. Number two, it will help keep us from duplicity. I marvel at duplicity. I marvel because if we were living for God, confessing our sin, maintaining a relationship, there's no way you can be one person in church and a totally different person. We have Jekyll and Hyde Christianity that performs one way publicly and a totally different way privately to the point that we say, who is that person? How could that person do that? Well, they've perfected duplicity because silver, this silver looked like the real thing, but it was called not by God, but by who? Men recognized. Unsaved men recognized this is fake, this is false, this is reprobate. It's ore that looks like it has value, but when you go to put it to the fire, you put some heat on that silver. All you get is dross. You know when you recognize reprobate silver? When there's a little heat. It doesn't matter if that heat comes from above or if that heat comes from the world. When all you're getting is dross in their spirit, in their reaction, in their talk, in their friendships. You know what happens? Some of these kids can look like silver all the way through school. And then about the time they get out and they face the heat, it's just dripping dross. It's reprobate silver. I thought it was silver. We all thought it was silver. But the fire's going to prove that's just reprobate silver. And men looked at that and said, that's not silver. That's reprobate silver. The fire will prove it's all dross. And how many young people have gone up, grown up in this environment? And performed, whether that was at school or a competition, whether that was music or a choir, whether that was ministry, whatever involvement they were obligated to in this church, and most looked and said silver. And when they faced the fire, you know what seeped out? Dross. Reprobate silver and here's why you want to repent you want to repent because you don't want to become reprobate silver you want to have something real something of value here's what happened duplicity happens when you start substituting religious rituals for obedience look at what it said in chapter 6 verse 20 to what purpose cometh there to me incense from sheba you're bringing me incense from the greatest sources, you're going out of your way, out of your country to bring me incense. And sweet came from a far country. 
But I just want you to know, having gone through all of that, it's nothing more than a religious ritual because he says your burnt offerings are not acceptable nor your sacrifices sweet unto me. He says that incense, what you're offering to me, those sacrifices mean absolutely nothing. And when your heart, oh, the exterior can look good, but when the heart is not right, God says, I don't even like the sacrifice. How much of our rituals in our religion are meaningless to God? God says, so you're back again. So you're singing again. You performed again. He's not even going to lift two fingers to do the two-finger clap. He says that looks like silver, but it's still reprobate silver. I want a relationship. I don't want a ritual to become the purpose of your life. Look what it says in chapter 7, verse 8. Behold, ye trust in lying words that cannot profit. Will ye steal and murder and commit adultery and swear falsely and burn incense unto Baal and walk after other gods whom ye know not and come and stand before me in this house which is called by my name and say, we are delivered to do all these abominations? Did you know the problem of grace and the misunderstanding of grace is not something new to this generation? You mean to tell me that they were preaching back then Grace is my permission slip. What should we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. Jeremiah thousands of years ago was preaching. You believed a lie and this is the lie. You steal, you murder, you commit adultery, you swear falsely, you burn incense, you walk after other gods. Then you come and you stand in my house. Delivered and saying, we have God's divine permission to do these evil abominations. You know why churches are growing so fast across this country? Because people figured out they can bring their abominations to the house of God. Pastors are inviting them to do it. Come dress like the world, acting like the world. If you're living in adultery or fornication, if you're a whoremonger, it doesn't matter what you've done. Their only answer to every question is to say, Grace. What about grace? Is repentance included in salvation? Grace. Look repeatedly in the Bible, speaking about the last days, and you'll see these words, deceived and being deceived by a biblical term, grace. Here's what they were doing. They were bringing these abominations to the house of God that included murder, adultery, and theft. It sounds a lot like our day. And look what happened in chapter 7, verse 18. It wasn't just dad, but the whole family was involved. The children gathered the wood, the fathers kindled the fire, the women need their dough to make cakes to the queen of heaven to pour out drink offerings to other gods that they may provoke me to anger. The whole family was involved in spiritual rituals that could not, did not, would not please God. Look what it says, verse 30. For the children of Judah have done evil in my sight, saith the Lord. They have set their abominations in the house which is called by my name, bringing their pollutions to the house of God. 
you would think, listen, we could be respectful enough because this isn't our house. This is God's house. You know, if it were my house, I walk in and I take my shoes off and make myself comfortable. And I, but whether or not you do that at your house, you certainly wouldn't do that at someone else's house. How many of you have ever walked to the fridge, popped open the lid on the milk carton and started chugging? You know why you did that? Because you were at your house. Can you imagine you walked over to Chris and Amos and invited you? popped open the fridge and started chugging a gallon of milk. <laughs> now, let me ask you this. Wouldn't it be good if we got to know God enough that we would walk in with enough respect to say, this is God's house. This isn't about pleasing someone else in my actions or reactions or dress or worship or song. This is about God. Despite what men might say, I don't think God's real pleased with our demeanor in church, our flippant attitude. Uh, well, God, you should be happy that I'm here. Look what it says in chapter 3, verse 12. So why should we repent? It'll keep sin from advancing in our lives. It'll keep us from the trap of duplicity. How many of you are disturbed by duplicity? Jeremiah 3, 12. Jeremiah 3.12, Go and proclaim these words towards the north and say, Return thou backsliding Israel, saith the Lord, and I will not cause mine anger to fall upon you. Now, here's the biggest blessing of repentance. It's only by repentance that we get to enjoy the full benefits of grace. Now, here's the lie that's being spread. Oh, God's grace. Yes, God's grace is offered to all, but it can't be received and the benefits can't be enjoyed without repentance. How many of you enjoyed the benefit of salvation without repentance? God says, I came, I gave my life, I shed my blood, I offer you eternal life, but in order to enjoy the benefit of grace... Salvation is by grace and salvation is free and salvation is eternal. How many of you understand that? But you can't enjoy salvation. Why is it that there are the majority of the population of this world is not enjoying the grace of salvation because it comes through repentance. And here's what he told the nation. You can enjoy my grace, but you only enjoy it by repentance. How many of you can extend grace to your children without repentance? How many of you extend grace when there is defiance? Brody, come here. No. Brody, would you please come here for a minute? Nah. Think I'll pass on that. Um, Brody, you come here right now. Yeah. I come in a little bit when I'm good and ready. Do you think it's possible for mom to show grace and that kind of behavior? What if she says, Brody, come here. Uh, mom, Brody, do you understand what I'm saying? I'm sorry, mom. You know what he just did? He may have just eliminated the repercussion through a change of heart and a change of mind that brought a change of action. But you cannot reward rebellion with grace. And that's what man thinks. I'll be rebellious and God says grace. No, God says my grace is dependent upon repentance. 
and here's what we want. Someone has played with your feelings and with your emotions. And they've gone off, they've gotten into sin, they've been rebellious, they've done the wrong thing. And when they were approached, they yelled, Grace! God says, no, in order to enjoy my grace, it's through repentance. And here's what he told the nation in verse 12. Go and proclaim these words. If you return from your backsliding, I will not cause my anger to fall upon you. If you return, only, verse 13, acknowledge thine iniquity. So what is true repentance? It's acknowledging this is sin. This is wrong. I love leading people from sin to grace. But that can only happen through repentance. And until you acknowledge, he says, acknowledge thine iniquity and that thou hast transgressed against the Lord thy God. Verse 14, and then what? Once you acknowledge, what are you supposed to do? Turn. How many of you have seen, even if the sin is acknowledged, there's a continuance? Okay, it's wrong. I'm sorry. No, if you're sorry, you're going to turn. Here's what they said in verse 10. And yet for all this, her treacherous sister Judah hath not turned unto me with her whole heart, but feignedly. It's like the child that keeps walking away saying, I'm coming. I'm coming. Repentance means you acknowledge and you turn and you go a different direction. And when you do, you can experience God's grace. Outside of that, it's punishment that is promised. Now, here's what I'm encouraging all of you that are born again children of God to do. Make it a habit to repent. We have a human nature. We're inclined to sin. And when we do wrong, repent. Be quick to repent. When confronted, repent. And if you don't, you'll quickly find yourself becoming a person of duplicity that acts one way in public, another way in private. With sin, with full-grown roots. Yelling when caught. Grace when God yells. Repent. Because God is gracious. And God does want to forgive. But the only way you can experience God's full benefit of grace by throwing yourself on your face and saying, I'm wrong. What I've done is wrong.